Welcome to the Bale in the Midwest podcast. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Bale in the Midwest podcast for us to discuss breaking news. There have been multiple stories all over the various media claiming that the Illinois Supreme Court has eliminated cash bail. In truth, the court itself has not eliminated cash bail. Rather, it has upheld a law called the Safety Act in which the Illinois State Legislature abolished all monetary bail. However, in failing to strike down this runaway legislation, the Illinois court has completely abandoned its duty and responsibility to uphold the state constitution in favor of political expediency. Both the Democratic legislature and the Democratic Supreme Court on party line votes chose criminals over victims and chose to gut the victims' rights provisions of their state constitution for no other reason than some misguided belief that criminals are the real victims of the criminal justice system. Let me say this clearly. Accused criminals are not victims of an oppressive system. They are, in fact, victimizers preying on the rest of society. Unfortunately, the Illinois Supreme Court is not the first court to twist language to make their political desires fit within the boundaries of their constitutions. We've seen this happen with bail-related issues on a number of occasions. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled that preventive detention was not excessive bail, and if it were excessive bail, it couldn't be granted. The Ohio Supreme Court ruled that a cash-only bond was the same as a surety bond, and many other instances wherein the courts have whittled away at the right to bail. But first, we'll talk about what happened in Illinois, talk about a little bit of bail history and how the court functionally abolished a couple aspects of the Illinois Bill of Rights to reach this decision. Like most states, the Illinois Constitution has a clause in the Bill of Rights stating that, quote, all persons shall be bailable by sufficient sureties. Now, the reason that this clause is in most of these state constitutions dates back hundreds of years to English common law. In England, judges would travel a circuit to mete out the king's justice. However, this might mean that months could pass between a crime and any sort of official action. Often these courts were only held two or at most three times each year. And this is where the term circuit judge comes from. The judge would ride from town to town to clear the judicial backlog at each place. This path, this riding path, was called the judicial circuit. But to ensure that the accused criminal did not simply sit in medieval jails for months on end, the practice of giving bail came into being. Often this was another member of the community who would stand as surety or guarantor that the accused would show up for trial when the circuit judge arrived. However, there had to be a penalty or a consequence if the accused did not appear. And this could be the surety standing in place of the accused, suffering the penalty himself, or the surety could forfeit his lands or other assets if the accused over time, this developed into a pledge of a specific amount or specific assets subject to forfeiture if the accused did not present himself to the court. Now, as you can imagine, this could very well be abused by the sheriffs or those with the authority to set and take bail. As an example, a tenant farmer who occupied ground coveted by another, say, for instance, the county sheriff, could be accused of a crime, imprisoned, and held until the next session of the circuit with a bail that was completely unreasonable. By the time the circuit judge finally arrives, the tenant farmer's animals are dead or stolen, his crop lays ungathered in the field, and he can't pay his duties to the local lord, 
thus losing his land and home, regardless of what happens at trial. This became such a favored tactic of political oppression that in 1689, the English Bill of Rights included the phrase, excessive bail ought not be required. This is the source of the Eighth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which states excessive bail shall not be required. The main reason for these clauses is to prevent the state or the government or those in power from being able to make criminal accusations against people and then lock them up indefinitely with no recourse to get out. This right was limited, however, in that it typically did not apply in capital cases. If you were facing the death penalty, you were unlikely to be bailable. Otherwise, if you had a surety, you could secure your release pending trial. However, while the federal constitution only provides a prohibition against excessive bail, which can be kind of a squishy term, many states have included in their constitutions the specific language that all persons shall be bailable by sufficient sureties. This also was limited to non-capital cases. But despite this limitation, this language does provide a constitutional right to bail in non-death penalty cases in those states that have this clause. So back to Illinois. The Illinois Constitution, first drawn up in 1818, contains the same language, a right to bail, except in capital cases. And this exact clause remained in the Constitution until 1970, when the voters of Illinois modified their constitution and the bail clause therein. The modification created a class of non-capital crimes for which bail could be denied altogether. The bail clause in the Illinois constitution now reads, all persons shall be bailable by sufficient sureties, except for the following offenses where the proof is evidence or the presumption great. Capital offenses, offenses for which a sentence of life imprisonment may be imposed as a consequence of conviction, and felony offenses for which a sentence of imprisonment without conditional and revocable release shall be imposed by law as a consequence of conviction. When the court, after a hearing, determines that release of the offender would pose a real and present threat to the physical safety of any person. So basically, if the crime carried a mandatory jail sentence without a probation option, then the court could hold a hearing and order the defendant held without bail, but only if the offender posed a, quote, real and present threat to the physical safety of any person, unquote. That is the current language of the Illinois Constitution that the Illinois Supreme Court is bound to uphold. And, and just as a sideline, why? you may ask, did the voters of Illinois feel the need to modify the bail clause of their constitution after 152 years? Well, it's because in 1964, the state of Illinois outlawed professional bail bondsmen and instead functionally took over the bail bond business themselves by letting anyone and everyone out of jail if they could deposit 10% of the bond amount set. And as with most things run by government bureaucracies, this new system performed poorly. The completely foreseeable result was that crime in Illinois exploded and crime increased so dramatically and so quickly that the citizens of Illinois felt the need to change their constitution within five years of this poorly conceived plan. Additionally, at the federal level, 
without waiting to see the actual results of this Illinois experiment, the federal government changed Rule 46 of the Code of Criminal Procedure in the Bail Reform Act of 1966, which mandated signature bonds for a much larger percentage of criminal defendants. Following this change to a more lenient release practices, violent crime in the United States quadrupled over the next 30 years. This ultimately culminated in the Bail Reform Act of 1984, which finally repealed the 1966 law, but also created a regimen of preventive detention at the federal level. So just for all you progressives, being held without even the option of bail is the mass incarceration that you're complaining about. So fast forward to last year. Evidently unable to learn from history and thus doomed to repeat it, the Illinois legislature enacted the so-called Safety Act, which should scare anyone who has seen the pattern of bill naming in the recent past. The Inflation Reduction Act just being the latest bill to do the exact opposite of what the name implies. The Safety Act will be anything but safe for the citizens of Illinois. But as it relates to bail, the Safety Act abolishes all monetary consideration in bail. This has been described in the media as eliminating so-called cash bail. In its place, the legislature has mandated that the courts shall release all charged defendants on signature bonds, except that the court was granted the ability to engage in preventive detention, although they don't call it that, in certain circumstances, an outright denial of bail. Now, I'm going to quote the court's majority opinion here describing what the bill does. The court may order a defendant detained pending trial if the defendant is charged with an array of enumerated felony offenses and poses a real threat to the safety of any person or persons or the community, the court may also order a defendant detained pending trial if the defendant has been charged with an enumerated offense or any felony other than a class four offense, and if the court concludes that there is a high likelihood of willful flight to avoid prosecution. Now, if you'll recall the Illinois Constitution, which the Illinois Supreme Court is supposed to interpret and uphold, that document conveys a much more limited ability to engage in detention without bail. That is capital and life imprisonment cases and felonies carrying mandatory prison time without probation. And then only if the defendant poses a threat to the physical safety of any person. The plain language of the Illinois Constitution does not allow preventive detention for unspecified danger to the community and does not allow a denial of bail for being a quote unquote flight risk. Maybe it should. Those don't seem like they're bad choices, but the simple fact of the matter is that it does not. And when the Constitution conveys a right, a right to bail upon the people and has a narrow exception to that right, it is the job, responsibility, and duty of the Supreme Court to uphold that right and to not rubber stamp legislation that infringes on those rights. In doing this, then, the Illinois Supreme Court has abdicated its responsibility to the people and to its own constitution, which is its reason for being in the first place. For just the expansion of preventive detention beyond the constitutional prohibitions against it, the Safety Act should have been struck down. But, as they say on The Price is Right, that's not all. As crime in Illinois continued to spiral out of control, Illinois became one of the states to adopt a Victim's Bill of Rights into its constitution. 
One of the rights that is conveyed upon the victims of crime by the Illinois Constitution is, quote, the right to have the safety of the victim and the victim's family considered in denying or fixing the amount of bail. And they use the language, the amount of bail. And while I'm sure you see where I'm going with this, I'm going to read a couple of excerpts from Justice Overstreet's dissent, which I think encapsulates this better than I can. Justice Overstreet states, my analysis begins and ends with the enumerated rights of crime victims set out in the Illinois Constitution, which includes the right to have the safety of the victim and the victim's family considered in denying or fixing the amount of bail. The pretrial provisions of this act effectively nullify this right. And in doing so, the legislature has impermissibly usurped the ultimate sovereign power in this state, i.e. the citizens. We, the Supreme Court, have previously emphasized that the crime victim's rights provision is part of our Constitution's Bill of Rights, and that where any act of the legislature tends to infringe upon the rights thus preserved, we must assume that it was the intent of the framers that there should be no curtailment of such rights. It has been a long-standing principle in this state that the legislature has no power to impair or infringe upon rights vested in our state constitution. Under the pretrial release provisions of this act, however, there is no set of circumstances in which the safety of crime victims and their families can be considered in setting the amount of bail. The amount of bail is effectively zero for all cases under the act. The pretrial release provisions of the act, therefore, infringe upon a constitutionally protected right to the extent that that right is wholly nullified. So basically, the legislature functionally repealed a provision of the state constitution, which they're not supposed to be able to do. Now, unfortunately, Justice Overstreet was not able to convince any of the Democrats on the court that they were trampling on the rights of victims by effectively allowing the legislature to completely nullify a con constitutional right that had been conveyed upon the victims of crime. And as such, the whole of the Illinois government, the legislature, the billionaire governor with presidential ambitions, as well as the Supreme Court, whose sole purpose is to protect the state constitution from the passions of the majority in the legislature, have chosen criminals over the victims of crime. The court has allowed the legislature to run roughshod over the plain language of the state constitution. Further, as Illinois' own history has amply demonstrated, this will be a disaster. Only five years after eliminating secured financial bail, i.e. bail bondsmen, the citizens were compelled to modify their constitution because of the increase in crime. How long will it take before the citizens demand a more draconian response to the coming crime wave? Following the Bail Reform Act of 1984, the federal government now detains 72% of all charged defendants. They used to release 72%. The state of New Jersey altered its constitution to eliminate bail and to allow preventive detention because so-called cash bail disproportionately impacted communities of color. Five years later, there are more people of color in New Jersey jails than before they eliminated bail. Chicago has already been stricken with out-of-control crime following the lax pretrial policies following the COVID-19 pandemic. This will be worse. New York is trying to roll back its ill-conceived pro-crime policies. California voters rejected by a statewide referendum an attempt to abolish meaningful bail in their state. Unfortunately, progressive prosecutors in Los Angeles and San Francisco are ignoring the will of the voters 
and crime is rampant. Harris County, Texas is dealing with an 83% dismissal rate on their zero bail misdemeanors. Every city and jurisdiction that has tried this has suffered from increased crime. I suppose the future will say if I'm right or if I'm wrong, but the past has certainly provided ample evidence that I'm right. I'll say a prayer for the residents of Chicago, but God helps those who help themselves. You, citizens of Chicago, may want to consider or reconsider who you're sending to the state house and remember this decision at the next Supreme Court retention election. Your Illinois officials do not care about you or your safety. Thank you for joining us for this special edition of Bail in the Midwest podcast and listening to my take on this item. We hope that you'll join us for the next episode. Join us again next time for the Bail in the Midwest podcast.